Hey folks, this is Charles, two of the eight black hands, and this week's show is really special. It's a two-parter, and the first part you get Dr. Adrian D. Dixon and Dr. Marvin Lynn, and then after that, you get the regular show as always. Uh, I hope you all enjoy it. You have There will be time codes in the description if you want to skip ahead or listen to part one, then part two, or reverse, however you like to do it. But at any rate, enjoy, and we will see you all soon. Peace. We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecki, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Hello. Hey, Marvin, how are you? I'm good. How are you? You looking fancy. Well, thank you. I... I'm glad I don't look like what I've been through, as they say. <laughs> hey. <laughs> well, listen, I am outside because I, I we were on a beach trip today because it's, it's 107 degrees in Portland. And my family I said, heard. we got to go to the beach. And I said, well, oh I'll God. go, but I'm going to have to leave and go do this interview somewhere. So I'm at a restaurant trying to do the interview and I, the only seat I could get was outside. So. Oh, wow. That's why, yes, that's what why I got beach? my shades. And, what beach are y'all at? Cannon Beach. Oh, yeah. The Oregon coast is so beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's nice. So, a a couple things, as we've talked about, this is, uh, the moment that we're in is actually really helpful for our project that we're working on right now. Uh, The second edition of the Handbook of Critical Race Theory and Education. We couldn't have asked for better PR, right? (laughs) Yes, we're in the show. Apparently, everyone can see and hear us. Yes. Is what the sign here said. Yeah, we're live. We yeah. are live. Did you hear uh, Dr. Gloria Latson Billings' uh, NPR interview? I did. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was incredible. Uh, yeah. 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 So this is an interesting moment for um, for us, for the work, for the country. But for those of us who do critical race theory, it's really interesting. I was listening to an, another interview about McCarthyism and how, um, you know, just how devastating it was for everyone, because um, you could ju- just the specter of being. Um, described as uh, un-American was devastating for a number of people. Um, clearly, I mean, it ruined people's lives. And uh, and that was the intention, right, to shut down any perspective that wasn't um, uh, deemed appropriate by McCarthy and those that supported him. Um, and so I feel like we're back in this moment now where, you know, any kind of discussion of difference or racism or inequality is deemed as inappropriate and, uh, and un-American. And uh, it's, you know, we've done our share of interviews and I, what I try to emphasize is that this is, you know, it, this is fascism. Um, and once we begin to tell people what they can't know, what they can't think, what they can't say, what they can't ask, ask questions about, you know, we are really, um, we, we are, we are in the full throes of, of a fascist, um, fascist state. Um, and I'm happy to, you know, kind of move that way with, with our silence, it seems. Oh, I think you're right. And I'm, I mean, 
excited that uh, you are here with me to have this conversation because uh, I think your perspective is so important. Um, you know, we've been talking about and studying race for, for a long time in America. Uh, you know, Frederick Douglass, <laughs> Sojourner Truth. I mean, right. I mean, before America was America, uh, black folks have been talking about race. Uh, and I think as Andre Perry recently said in an an article he published on one of the news mags, you know, as long as there is racism, there's going to be the study of race and racism that we're going to be talking about white supremacy. And so, uh, you know, he says, if, if you want us to stop talking about it, then then stop being racist. <laughs> so, so there's the solution right there. I think I just found the answer. Andre Perry gave it to us that, you know, we, we can stop talking about race as long as we... No, he's not. But but that's the point is that as long as there's racism in America, there will be there will be deep study of race and racism in America, which is what critical race theorists have been doing. And uh, I love the conversation that folks are having is really not about critical race theory at all. Uh, I talked about uh, this gentleman, Christopher Rufo, who works for the Manhattan Institute, who very intentionally uh, decided to use critical race theory as a moniker for everything related to social justice, equity, gender, sexuality, right? Anything that has to do with, with equity in schools and in, in education, Christopher is referring to as critical race theory. And that was very intentional. Uh, yeah. It was he had no understanding whatsoever of what critical race theory actually is. And so our discussions and our debates within the field about the nature of race and racism are really not what's happening in places like Loudoun County, Virginia, where there's this uproar from parents about the use of critical race theory in schools. I saw a very uh, unfortunate video of an African-American man and his daughter. And he said that his daughter had seen a video uh, of a, uh, a, a, a sign that said blacks and whites. Uh, and it was it was an image of, that reminded his daughter of a period that she knew nothing about. So he had not taught daughter about our history of segregation in America. And when she saw the sign in the video at school, she came home and she asked her father, what is that? And he was angry because he did not want to teach his black child about history of segregation in America. And so he was on Fox News saying no critical race theory in the schools. Well, first of all, that wasn't critical race theory. But secondly, why aren't you teaching your daughter her history? And, and what does that have to do with me? <laughs> So there's just a lot of confusion out there about about what critical race theory is and what it's not. And a lot of it is, is people being in denial and running away from uh, the truth of our history as Americans. So maybe we would be helpful if we talk about kind of what critical race theory is, the history of it. It's been recited. I mean, I, I tell people if you read any article in education, the history of critical race theory is the kind of opening um uh, the opening of every um, of every article where folks are talking about um, critical race theory uh, in education. And so we kind of recite that genealogy uh, repeatedly. Um, and so we should not be confused about what critical race theory is and where it emanates. Um, so we know that it started in um, legal uh, scholarship um, and uh 
Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, Richard Delgado, Kendall Thomas, Gary Peller, um, Neil Gotanda, Patricia J. Williams, Charles um, Charles Lawrence, Mari Matsuda. Um, it was, you know, there um, there are a number of scholars, Dorothy Roberts, Regina Austin, uh, many who contributed. I'm leaving names out, but I, I'm trying to remember the ones that immediately are uh, kind of a, you know, the group of scholars who came together to think about why, um, why they saw a persistence of um, uh, discrimination and inequality uh, in certain domains, even when we had um, um, when we had legislation that essentially outlawed racial discrimination in employment, in housing, in school admissions, um, so that there we shouldn't have seen, you know, um, disparities um, across those domains, and yet um, we saw them, right? Um, and so they wanted to understand this as more than just. Um, uh, a an issue of um, the lack of pipeline or the lack of preparedness um, on the part of people of color, but that there was some intentionality, um, and that the the law actually was complicit in the uh, persistence of discrimination and um, racial inequality. And so that's what they set out to do in critical race theory in education, as you know, uh, Gloria Letson-Billings, Bill Tate, Danny Salarzano, Larry Parker, um, all, you know, uh, were interested in kind of similar issues in education, how we have persistence of racial inequality in education um, after, you know, in light of the Brown decision and the Lau decisions um, and um, uh, interventions in uh, curriculum and multicultural education, why are we seeing these disparities in, in achievement and educational outcomes? And so could it be more than just, again, race as a variable, because as the variable, it shows up that certain groups were persistently um, underrepresented in some things and overrepresented in others. And so was it more to it than just race operating as a variable? Um, was it perhaps a, um, a more of a contributor than we thought about before in ways that were ideological and not necessarily um, phenotypical? Um, just by virtue of being black, you will have these. But is there something else at play that shows up in policy and practice? And so that's kind of where we are. Education and as, you know, kind of second generation scholars, you and I, um, you haven't been trained by Danny Salarzano and me by Gloria and Bill, is that we have, you know, tried to, again, kind of use this lens of CRT to understand the persistence of racial um, disparities um, in educational domains, in teacher training, in um, in school discipline, uh, in policy. So uh, across a number of domains. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to add about the kind of the history of CRT and what it is? Um, 
in education? Well, no, I, I think I think you captured it really well. You know, um, I decided I would I would bring out a couple of key texts today. <laughs> Critical race theory, uh, the key writings that form the movement is is really like our Bible, right? It uh, and. And all of us, I see Adrian's got hers, and, and they're all tattered up. And this is uh, what we were all first introduced to uh, back in, uh, you know, 96, 97, and uh, in 98 and so on. And so this, uh, the introduction to this captures exactly what you said uh, in terms of critical race theory. You know, they say here in the introduction that is to understand how a regime of white supremacy and its uh, and its subordination of people of color have been created and maintained in America. So it's it's about understanding uh, white supremacy, how it was developed, how it was created, and how it's maintained, right? And what are the tools through which it is maintained? Chiefly through the law. And so legal scholars enter the conversation um, through studying, critiquing the law and the limitations of the law and the way the law has uh, failed particularly African-Americans, and they go way back to slavery and beyond. And you can look at a series of, of court cases, right, uh, and this, uh, chiefly Plessy versus Ferguson and others, um, that and, and the way in which they have failed us. Um, and Because they, they say here, they talk about how we examine the relationship between the social structure and the professed ideals like democracy and freedom, right? Uh, and the rule of law and equal protection. Well, who has equal protection? We certainly do not, although the law suggests that we do. Uh, and again, what, what they're doing is essentially showing and that. The other really important thing I think that you mentioned and talked about here is uh, this idea of meritocracy, this idea of objectivity, right? We talk about scholarship, we talk about the law as objective, we talk about our scholarship as objective, and they reject that. They say that all of this stuff is is uh, biased in some way. Uh, and they would argue as critical race theorists that it is, um, it is racially biased toward uh, white folks. <laughs> Uh, against us you know, and, and devalues us at, in every way. Uh, the other thing that they talk about uh, that I think is really important uh, that you raise is this idea of creating an oppositional standpoint, right? Uh, um, developing a voice or perspective that uh, counters the majoritarian story or, the, or, or what we say, sort of, sort of the overarching white narrative uh, of, of who we are, how the world works, and so on. And so critical race theory gives us a perspective, gives us a lens through which to tell our story uh, that really, it, it sees us as not only the storyteller, but as the, the, the sort of producer, the, the person who uh, constructs the story, uh, really for the purposes of lifting up um, our, our, our community in, in positive ways. And I think, you know, as you were saying, education scholars have really tried to uh, adopt that approach um, and through lots of different uh, lenses. You know, the Handbook of Critical Race uh, Theory in Education. Uh, we have the second edition, as you said, coming out in October. Yay, we're excited about that. <laughs> we're moving from 28 chapters to 32 chapters and got a whole bunch of 
brand new scholars who are, who are introduce, introducing some fabulous new uh, uh, concepts and ideas. Dr. Dixon, you can talk about the new article that you and your colleagues have written that I think really takes intersectionality to a whole new place, right? Uh, we have a, a, a new chapter in that book that talks about uh, discrit and how uh, well, black and brown folks who are disabled are, are are criminalized and policed in schools, and they and they compare that to what happens to George Floyd and others who are killed uh, needlessly by police. And so, I think this this new handbook is right on time, uh, given the the need for education around race uh, in America today. Yeah, I'm really excited about. Um I'm excited about the book. I'm excited to keep doing the work. And, you know, it's interesting. One of my um, doctoral students or former doctoral students, he's a new assistant professor um, at a university in the South, uh, in the Southwest. And uh, this is his first year. Um, and he, uh, a senior colleague, came to him and asked him uh, if he to teach the CRT class because she, you know, she wanted to do some other things next year, and uh, they work in a place. I mean, there you can, you know, write this, throw it uh, a dart, and you're going to hit a place that is attacking CRT. Um, but I thought it was, and I and I explained to him that this is, you know, this is sadly you are seeing how the academy in some places pick up um, what they think are kind of hot and sexy um, uh, lines of inquiry um, or theoretical frameworks for the accolades. And then when the heat comes or when the interest wanes, then they move on. And that it was, I thought, you know, uh, it, it should tell him the kind of quality of colleague he has, um, that a someone with tenure would want to pass off this kind of hot potato to a an untenured um, an untenured uh, colleague, and 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 not that you know if you you know again we we you know we started our careers in critical race theory, um, so I'm not I wouldn't suggest that an untenured uh, assistant professor not do critical race theory and that you wait until you have tenure, but that it was um, it was a an it was a gesture of bad will <laughs> that in this climate, um, uh, a tenured colleague would, uh, you know, uh, uh, absolve themselves of the responsibility in an area that they had dominated and did not want to give over the class actually to the to my to my student in his first year. But now that it is uh, wildly unpopular, um, that oh, what you know go ahead and take a stab at it. You know, I, I, I'm concerned about that, but it illustrates again that the kind of the way that critical race theory has lived in the academy. So it's really stunning um, that there's this, you know, this mythology that school districts are teaching, you know, kids K-12 critical race theory when it hasn't necessarily been operationalized as a full-fledged curriculum. I mean, you know, you and I know that there are very few courses taught in higher ed on critical race theory, even in law schools. A lot of law schools don't necessarily teach it as a required course. It's a, in, in law schools, it's often a, an elective. Similarly, in graduate school, in schools of education, um, and we have colleagues, but it's a, it's a relatively, you know, kind of under 
um, under not understudy, but certainly isn't as um, widespread in schools and colleges of education. Certainly teachers aren't being trained to be critical race teachers or principals aren't being trained to be critical race principals and there aren't critical race theory, you know, curricula. There are isolated places that have, and one that we know right in Tucson, um, where a colleague attempted to try to think critically about race area um, and the whole entire state legislature banned ethnic studies and they conflated ethnic studies with critical race theory yet again. Um, and how long ago was that, Marvin? That was when we were doing our first handbook, right? When Augie was going through. Yeah, that was somewhere 2013, 2014. He has, a, he has a chapter in the handbook where he talks a little bit about that. And he talks about how he was trying to use critical race theory in, in, in the high school classroom to do some things. But as you say, uh, not only did he get they did he did he get did he get banned in the high school, it got banned across the whole state. Oh and, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think some of that was was undone, uh, but never yes. nevertheless, uh, it, it was a really uh, awful time for him. And he does have a chapter in the handbook where he tries to describe a little bit some of the some of the pedagogy. He was drawing on uh, Dead Prez, who are uh, hip hop artists, critical hip hop artists. Um, who were, uh, you know, talking about some of the issues around swing of black and brown kids. And he used that as a subtext for telling a story about the experience in Tucson, Arizona. But as you say, I think he was probably the only person in the country doing that. <laughs> that yeah. th this is not widespread. Yeah. And, and, and outside of uh, UCLA. Right. There, and there, there isn't a... CRT curriculum that's a K-12 curriculum. I mean, in some ways it is um, contradictory to the theory that one would create a kind of critical race um, curriculum and that it's, you know, it might inform someone's perspective on teaching and curriculum, but it certainly doesn't function as a as a, you know, curriculum itself. So, so it's really interesting that that they've created this kind of, um, they've created this boogeyman, this educational boogeyman that I think is really a distraction from, obviously, as you, I, mean, I think it's a distraction from the other things that they, uh, that they being Republicans are, are trying to do to, to disenfranchise um, people of color. And so um, it, you know, we could have predicted this moment, right? Um, and uh, and so if it you know if it's an is a critical race theory it will be something else but there there was a you know I think it's a distraction to the other ways that we're being disenfranchised. Oh yes, and it was very intentional, right? That the use of critical race theory was a way to, to it's a moniker for a whole bunch of things that have nothing to do with critical race theory or maybe related to critical race theory. Like critical pedagogy is related to critical race theory in some in some important ways in terms of thinking about being critical. Of of social injustice and, thing, and thinking about how we engage the oppressed and those kinds of things. So there are definitely commonalities, but they are different things. Uh, and um, so I, this is very intentional. You know what I what I have been reading, and I've been interested in this, this whole issue quite a bit. Is that really it, it's an effort on the part of uh, the, the Trump uh, folks to get him back in power uh, and to, as you say, distract us, but also to find an issue that would scare the bejeebus out of white middle-class America. 
right? Uh, if you scare white middle class folks enough, you can get them to do just about anything. Is is what they think, right? And so what I what what I'm reading is that uh, you know my white suburban middle class women are completely freaked out about this idea of critical race theory being taught in the schools, and so it is leading people to behave politically in ways that would serve. Um, and his ilk uh, is, is, is what's going on. The other issue is that um, Biden and Harris have been so successful so far with their policy agenda that the Republicans don't really have uh, anything to respond with other than to drum up fear uh, and to get people, you know, talking and running scared. Uh, so, so, and there's a long tradition, right? You can go back to Nixon. I mean, people compare Nixon to Trump all the time. But remember, you know, Nixon used racial fear and anxiety to get people to swing his way, so to speak, um, and to vote for him. And then we see how that turned out. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, we, we keep reliving these political historical nightmares over and over and over again. And, and now, it's, as you say, uh, critical race theory happens to be the boogeyman when, in fact, people aren't talking about critical race theory at all. And you know, Reagan did the same thing. The same, you know, the tropes, um, the the uh, welfare mom and Willie Horton, and um, and the you know, there's the famous line that um, that Reagan had when he was starting to um, dismantle the Office of Civil Rights and to you know heat this whole notion of intent, proving intent in discrimination cases was. It is a, an artifact of, Ronald, of the Ronald Reagan era. He inserted that as a point of um, proof that, that one would have to have if you're going to make file a, a, a discrimination case, that you had to prove that there was intent. But the other thing that, that Reagan said is, um, you know, he was not happy with what he described as special interest groups. And this, some of you had disability, so special education, you had Title IX, um, that was in the 70s, um, the bilingual education, all of these things that came out of the 70s. He, his line was, perhaps we did too much too soon. And the Nation at Risk report was their quote unquote evidence that the U.S. had kind of sort of we had lost some footing, not taking into consideration that Sputnik happened, you know, Sputnik happened, you know, 20, 30 years earlier. And so what footing did we quote unquote lose? Because we've been chasing after this kind of edge since Sputnik. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting line. But he he tied this these um, the, this this um, these pushes for equity and inclusion as somehow the cause of some watering down of the American curriculum and the that we had kind of lost footing against our um, international uh, peers using the, the PISA scores and all of that when, I mean, and that's been debunked, you know, we don't even test the same groups of people and they don't educate people similarly. So, um, uh, so that was a misnomer, but it was a great talking point, right? And you have the kind of, then we have the kind of beginnings of the culture war with the Edie Hirsch books um, that were, you know, he made him a millionaire, what people need to know that very narrowly 
tailored what counted as a credible um, and useful knowledge um, for, you know, for our, our folks. And so that kind of put us on this road to national standards that were, you know, that were in many ways scrubbed of any kind of critical thought about citizenship, about rights, about race, um, and so on. And, and, and here then, here comes, you know, that was in the early 80s. Here we are um, with critical race theory. So you think about Reagan and the Nation at Risk in 84, the critical race theory folks um, met in 88 or 89 at um, University of Wisconsin, I think, to kind of talk about this kind of burgeoning, how do we think more critically about race and law? Um, and so all of these things kind of happen similarly and cyclically, right? So you have Reagan with his rollbacks on civil rights laws, on um, educational equity, and um, and now here we are again with, you know, a similar, you know, situation. And Reagan, you know, trying to implement the, his trickle-down economics where there are huge tax cuts to the wealth, which helped create, you know, the kind of situ the situation that we're in now with with wealth disparities, um, and under investing in a public infrastructure, redirecting public funds to private entities, um, and you know, we're fully in that moment now, and and we're, you know, we're kind of back where we were um, in the '80s, where we were with with uh, Nixon in the '70s, so. Um, so it is, you know, we follow these kind of similar patterns around where race gets to be thrown out, race and equity, and people of color get sacrificed at the altar of um, performative. You, know, you just reminded me of the, uh, of the, of the conversation or, the, or great debate between, um, I don't know if you remember, remember this, Molefi Asante and Arthur Schlesinger. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're so right. There was this late 80s, 90s, uh, you know, conversation around uh, whether or not teaching Afrocentricity or, you know, black people focusing in on black culture and trying to understand its, its origins and, and seeing it as something positive and healthy, that that was somehow uh, equal to the disuniting of America. Right. Um, you know, Bloom and, and Schlesinger and people like that. Uh, and so, yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. And so there's always been this this sense that when we talk critically about race or even in a loving way about ourselves, that we are somehow uh, uh, separating ourselves from, from other people or we are somehow disuniting or tearing apart uh, the country that it's it's divisive to speak positively about blackness right it is, it is it is a divisive and evil evil thing to to talk and speak critically about the, the horrible history of racism and white supremacy in america and you and i are scholars and we've studied this stuff for 20 30 years uh and and there's still so much we do not know about slavery in the united states of america like i did not know up until about five years ago that that African babies were used as uh, uh, bait for alligators in Florida so that white men could make uh, alligator shoes, right? I knew about the lynchings. I knew about the, the way people would be treated. But there's so many different aspects of our history and our story. There's, I mean, it, it is really... Uh, a, a nightmare, you know. When I I think about what we what I learned in church about sort of um, you know 
it was something I think you were saying earlier. I don't look like what I've been through, and 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 just how far we have come through all of this, um, despite how we've been treated. I think it really is a fascinating and wonderful story, and for anybody to say that that we have to somehow uh, repress it or, or or not talk about it or not look at it critically, really is, is speaking out of fear. And I think yeah. we have to push back on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was um, watching a Tara, I was following, I follow Tara Hunter, who's a historian. And, um, oh, was it Tara Hunter? It may not have been. It might have been Blair Kelly, who's another historian. Um, but at either rate, either, one of them tweeted about the of what three fifths meant. So people interpret that the, the Africans were counted, enslaved Africans were, were counted as three fifths of a person. And they argue that that shows a lack of humanity that 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 the um, that American enslavers didn't see Africans as humans by calling them three fifths of a person. And she was like, no, this was about ownership and capital and wealth. So three fifths of some it, it, this was to uh, allow you to accumulate more wealth. So it was not about humanity because they didn't see us as humans. They saw us as capital. Right. As as an as an asset. And so um, and so don't you know, and I and my response was, here we go. You know, capitalism, this was a, this, you know, we can't forget the kind of foundation of the U.S. as a capitalist. And that was intentional. Right. Even down to the counting of your assets that you don't see as you didn't see them as people. They weren't treated as as full humans. They were treated as as they were property and um, and how you use property and manipulate it and um use it for, you know, again, the accumulation of wealth. So to, to kind of remember that. And, and I know you and I have been asked a lot about kind of the conflation of critical race theory with Marxism. And one thing I want to say, though, Derek Bell had a critique of capitalism. Um, and it would be along the lines that it's, I think it was Blair, Blair, Blair Kelly, and not um, uh, Tara Hunter, that, you know, to again, remember the, um, that uh, how, how fundamental wealth building and wealth accumulation and wealth protection was to the framers of the Constitution, um, which is why the franchise was tied to property and to ownership. It wasn't just one man, one vote for everybody. That had to be an amendment. Right. People had to agitate for that. That was an amendment. That wasn't right off the top. Off the top was. What if you own property, you can vote. If you don't own property, you can't vote. And who would never own property? Women were never going to own property. Enslaved Africans were never going to own property. Um, indigenous people were never going to own. They were being dispossessed of their property, right? Um, in the the land that was appropriated from what is now, you know, in Mexico, they would never, there was never, the franchise was never going to be offered to those groups because they weren't seen as, um, as appropriate for the franchise. White male property owners, even poor white men weren't, didn't have, you know, uh, the franchise. So we can't forget the, again, the, the strong ties between capital ownership, um, land rights, land ownership, and um, what it means to be a citizen in the U.S. And if that is a, a Marxist, if that makes CRT Marxist, then 
you know, I guess so. I mean, if you have, you know, if any kind of class critique or economic critique makes one a Marxist, then, you know, okay. <laughs> it, yeah. It, yeah, I agree. I think the relationship between property and, and whiteness, I mean, it's all intertwined. I think you could also make the argument that, that gender is an important aspect. You pointed to uh, how, how white women, women's rights were were repressed. Right. And so I think you could make a, you can make an analysis around race, class, gender. You could look at look at sexuality and a whole range of different areas. And I think all of those would be would be relevant. What I want to say, though, about um, the, the property issue and, and how important that was to, um, you know, uh, land ownership and to the rights of people in this in the, in the country. Christine Sleater um, has a fictional book that she wrote that kind of sort of tells her own experience. Right. And she goes back into her own history and she, she talks about her. Uh, ancestors being, um, uh, you know, the man how manifest destiny really uh, set them up for great wealth, right? That if you were white and you didn't have to be particularly wealthy, but you had to have the means, and if you had to be male, to get to California or Oregon or some other uh, previously unclaimed destination. And in this state where I live right now in Oregon, for example, you would be awarded, you know, 50 acres of land. And in some cases, um, cows and other animals and other things to work uh, on a farm, right? Just because of your skin color, right? And your gender. Um, now, again, the people who were, had the ability to do this tended to have wealth, but not all of them, right? And so uh, for white folks, there was a way in which, and I think Cheryl Property talks, I mean, Cheryl, uh, oh, Harris talks about this, um, that the, the, the whiteness in terms of its, its, its skin color had such value and you could accrue, right, um, value in terms of money and resources and land simply because of that. Uh, and at the same time, uh, if, you know, if you're going to give away 50 acres of land to one person, then you're taking it away from somebody else. And so you, you had the natives who were removed. They were essentially annihilated and exterminated and, and, and shifted to other parts of, of these states and so on uh, as as white men were being. But, but it, I guess my point is that the playing field opened up quite a bit for white folk. Right. Uh, uh, and so it wasn't so much about how wealthy they were. It's that what the, what was required was white skin. Right. And we still see that um, playing out today. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess one other thing I would want us to kind of think about um, is to um, if you were to give advice to um, teachers or school leaders who are in cities now where where parents coming to school board meetings and railing against critical race theory and demanding 
that um, they not teach critical race theory. You know, there are some um, school districts that are facing um, backlash about even the professional development that teachers get, that it not includes critical race theory. What would you, what, what can we, you know, how can we support schools in this climate? We go from one, you know, just literally months earlier, maybe last year, where, um, you know, we're all saying teachers need to prepare, be prepared uh, to teach um, kids uh, across a range of difference and, you know, why these workshops are important to now, you know, if you have workshops, they can't ever talk about this. Like if you were, you know, if you were talking to a school leader, what would, what advice would you give him or her? Well, I, I or recently they. ran for, yeah, I, I recently ran for uh, and was elected to my local school board in the town where I live. Yes. Where in <laughs> Yeah, Tiger Twelve. Yeah, yeah. My, my term begins. Uh, Tiger Twelve. It's you know it's it's combined. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. But uh, in a couple of days, I will be uh, sworn in um, uh, as a school board member. Um, and, and for me, and for me, that was really about uh, trying to ensure that that superintendent and that district could continue to do important equity work. Right. That there are people in my community. Unfortunately, and fortunately for me, it's not a majority of folks in my community, but there are some who would rather see. Uh, all of that eliminated from the curriculum. Uh, they don't. They don't want to be made to feel uncomfortable because they don't want to be reminded of, of America's history, uh, and so on. And they wanted the curriculum to be very narrow uh, and and focused on just a few issues. Right. And so we have a superintendent and uh, a board uh, that is thinking about that a little differently, and that is really trying to focus on equity. And I see it as part of my role to to try to support that. So I would say, you know, support your school board. Join on your school board. Uh, um, uh, there's a professor at, at Michigan State that I spoke to, Tara Ch- uh, Ch- Venza yeah. Chambers, who is, is school board president, um, really well-known, well-regarded uh, uh, scholar. And uh, so she, I think, is, is serves as a, as a model for many of us. Uh, another person, Susan Lynn, I think I met. Um, so there are a number of us who are, you know, scholars in the field who are serving on school boards for the purposes of trying to really support them to be able to do this work at a high level. Uh, um, and uh, so I, I would say that I would say also, you know, uh, I have offered to do uh, professional development sessions, um, training, um, d- d- discussions, uh, you know, book, book talks or whatever uh, with teachers, with educators, with school leaders. Uh, and in my state, you know, if people ask me to do that, I don't, I don't charge them for that. Uh, so, uh, you know, if we, we if we can be available, I've done um the same thing with student groups. You know, you, there are ways to talk about race with children that's appropriate. Um, I heard about a, 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 a lesson where some teacher divided first graders up into uh, oppressor class and oppressed class. <laughs> maybe, right, I know. Uh, trying to maybe do what Jane Elliott did with adults, right? But, it, it, you know, no, you can't you can't do that with six, seven-year-olds and kids end up crying and upset and you have a mess. Uh, and so you have to be thoughtful about, you know, uh, what's developmentally appropriate when you're working with children. But we can give folks advice on how to do that in, in the right way. I had a conversation with um, third through fifth graders about the issue of privilege. 
uh, and and what privilege means and and how you uh, attain it and how it's unearned. <laughs> and kids got that, you know. They said, "Yeah, there are a lot of things that I have that I have not earned." Uh, and uh, and then we did sort of translate that over to talking about kind of white privilege, and and they were able to make that shift pretty easily. And then they were able to explain to me how, in fact, white privilege shows up in their lives. Thank you, and how uh, it doesn't for their black uh, classmates and so on. Uh, and then we and one of the reasons I went to that school to talk with them is because uh, the the N word had come up in um, a, a story that they were reading about Lewis and Clark and Lewis and Clark are the people who supposedly discovered Oregon. Well, York was uh, an African man who was enslaved by them, who actually was more like a diplomat working with the native populations to help smooth the way essentially for uh, Lewis and Clark. And um, folks who encountered uh, York referred to York using the N-word. Um, and as we know, Oregon was a, was a state that um, it was not a slave state, but they wanted to make it easy for uh, slavers to come back and claim their slaves. And so, uh, and they also excluded blacks from the state altogether. And so this story was being read in my son's class and he got very upset about the use of the N-word because it's not something he hears um, commonly. And uh, so the teacher asked me to come in and, and do an explanation around that. And so I started with the, the issue of privilege and white privilege and I incorporated music. And so I just made it a, uh, a, an educational, but, but also a fun experience for those students. And I, and I think that, that you and I, you know, have the backgrounds and others uh, who we work with uh, to be able to help, help folks figure out how to do that in a way that's going to be, you know, positive, but also um, intentionally educational and informative for students, parents, school, you know, educators and principals. So that, that's the thing I would say. I would also say to school leaders, you know, 50% of the population of public school students is, are students of color, right? And that's certainly the case in my district. And there, and there are many more districts where it's even more than that. So how do we deny black, brown uh, students and Asian Pacific Islander and indigenous students the opportunity, right, to see themselves in the curriculum? Uh, how, how do we continue to teach in ways that we know uh, are not effective with all populations, right? Uh, it, it's, it's, just, it's just not fair. It's not right. <laughs> um, so... It, you know, you, you went back to, uh, to Reagan earlier in terms of the, the, the push against equity and the inclusiveness. Uh, unfortunately, what that what that did was it uh, we failed an entire generation of kids. Right. For whom, if their needs had been better met by schools would have had all kinds of opportunities. And so by denying uh, uh, teachers the opportunity to talk about race in the classroom, what you're doing is you are setting your students of color on a path to failure. I truly believe that. Um, I, I don't believe that our students are going to be the most successful that they can be when the curriculum is closed, when it's narrow, uh, and when it doesn't give students the opportunity to see themselves reflected and when their histories are denied and ignored. And so as an educator, that's a powerful statement to me. That's a powerful ethical moral statement that I think we have to pay attention to. Yeah. And um, I was going to say that it also prevents students from learning how to kind of have conversations across with people with different ideologies. Right. Um, and it, you know, presumes that, um, 
we all think the same. There's no kind of diversity of thought, which I think is really ironic. So in Florida, uh, DeSantis just just signed this um, piece of legislation that requires higher ed in public institutions in Florida to um, uh, staff and students have to, faculty and students have to complete a survey that's on intellectual diversity. And they have to, um, uh, they have to identify where they fit on a whatever, the, and, and the survey hasn't yet been done, and they claim that they won't use the survey survey results to punish um, individual faculty or um, institutions, but it's not clear that that won't happen. Um, but I don't so even know how identify, they have to identify their politics, Dr. Adrian. They have to yeah. identify what their politics yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. See, that, that, mean, that's McCarthyism. That's total McCarthyism. Yeah, right yeah. And, and it's easy to game it. Like, if you know what I mean? So if you know that you're going to be punished, I'll just answer questions that align with what you think. Yes, I'm a fundamentalist. Yes, I believe this. Yes. I, you know what I mean? Like, if, if I have to game it, I'll just game it. Okay. And so what? You know, what? What's the end result? Yeah, that is that is so anti-democratic. Well, closing thoughts, you know, I, I, I like where you ended up because what we're really talking about is two Americas, right? I, you know, if we, we we can live in an America where we are free to think what we'd like to think and believe, where we can study and practice uh, those things that, that truly we believe in, that 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 are, are, are part of um, our self-expression, right? And for me, that's what critical race theory is. It's it's a, it's a form of self-expression. It is it speaks to my experience, and so uh, it, it it. But it also has been wonderful to be in a, in a in a place where that's that's. In fact, expected, you are expected to be a free thinking individual, that that is what living in a quote unquote democracy is. Now, we know that there have been many exceptions made and there are many ways in which that has not been lived out of practice for us. But what we're talking about is that ideal. Right. And that ideal is still very yes. important. And so even as critical race theorists, we study race and we and we critique racism because we have this ideal of living in an anti-racist society, right? Uh, and 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 our and our role is to try to move us toward that goal. Uh, but to but to say we don't have the right to have to study these things, to talk about these things, to to think these things, to teach in these ways is fundamentally anti-democratic. And we might as well, uh, you know, be in the USSR or something. <laughs> right? I mean, we, we right? That is not that is not a democratic state. So if, if we're if we're thinking about if we want to live in a different type of system, I would say move someplace else. Right. Uh, don't don't turn America into a dictatorship or, or to some kind of authoritarian re regime where I have to put a, a lid on my intellect and, 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 and think like somebody else in order to, to survive. Uh, that is not freedom. Uh, and, right. and, and if you think that it's freedom because it's what you want, wait until the pendulum swings in the other direction. Right. It, right. It's not going it, it to. It, it may start with critical race theory, but it won't stop there. Right. So we have to be very, very careful. Yeah, I agree. 
Um, I think that um, it is hypocrisy at its highest to um, uh, talk about indoctrination and then you're indoctrinating people into espousing your beliefs and eradicating anything that doesn't fit within the paradigm that um, you have established. Um, I don't, so parting thoughts, I would say whatever you've heard about critical race theory in the mainstream, uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, at your local school board meeting is often inaccurate and <laughs> a misrepresentation of what critical race theory is. Um, if anything, I would say that it's, it's, there isn't a critical race theory K-12 curriculum that I'm aware of and I read a lot in the field. Um, so I don't know of any school district that's created a K-12 critical race theory curriculum. Um, but even if it did, I don't think that it would be um, what it's being cast as, as indoctrination, as anti-American, as and as as racist towards white people. All of that is a mis is a distortion of what critical race theory is. So even if there was a critical race theory K-12 curriculum, it wouldn't do all of the things or any of the things that it is that um, the detractors are accusing it of. And teachers who read critical race theory or follow critical race theory similarly are, um, as, as much as I understand it, they, they wouldn't as per the, the, the work, the scholarship that makes up critical race theory. Anything you want to say on that, Marvin? And we'll Well, you know, I think as we were discussing, schools for a very, very long time have been struggling with how to teach all children in a way that responds to their needs, right? Uh, when your mentor, Dr. Gloria Ladson Billings, came out with that uh, that piece toward a toward a, a culturally toward a theory of culturally relevant teaching back in '95, she she documented the whole history, right? And this goes back to the 70s when we were talking about culturally responsive instruction, culturally responsive pedagogy, because school was was a place of failure and continues to be for so many kids of color. And so there's always been this struggle to figure out what can we do to make a difference. Right. And and so there, there have been efforts underway way before critical race theory was a thing. There were these efforts to try to make classrooms and schools more equitable spaces where everybody um, could learn and survive. I would argue that the same movement has happened, as you as you alluded to earlier, around special education and all the laws that have been erected uh, as a way to ensure that we are including uh, kids who have special needs, intellectual needs and so on. So this is going, and, and it needs and it must continue. Uh, and, and it has very little to do with the, the grand theory that you and I work uh, it, uh, it in critical race theory. I think what critical race theory can do is further sharpen how educators understand the nature of race and racism and how it impacts schools and, and society. You have to get man. <laughs> no, 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 not, no, not at all. <laughs> guys, thank you guys for this amazing conversation. Uh, we truly appreciate it. We're about to move to part two of the show, but uh, thank you guys so much. Um, and if you guys want to come, because like this conversation was so dope. And if you want to come back and have part two of it, you're more than welcome to use our platform to, in order to be able to do so. But thank you so much uh, for this conversation. We appreciate it. Thank you all. All right. Bye. Have a good night. Thank you very much for having us. It was yeah. fun.
Black man, black man, what's happening, bro? Not much, bro. What it do, man? How you doing? Hey. Outside, opening back up, bro. How, how how you experiencing outside now, B? Listen, man. Uh, so I've been watching. Uh, I'm watching the show on Netflix. Um, that was the name of the show. Um, the the hog, whatever the hog, the the food, the food. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've watched that. Yeah, high off, high off the hog. High off the hog, right? And so I think either tomorrow or Tuesday, I'm taking a day trip to Charleston. South Carolina, man. I feel like I need to connect with the ancestors. And so, okay. yeah, so that's going to, I see you uh, sugar factorying it up and doing all kinds of stuff because it's I, opening I'm, back up. Man, I'm getting close to finishing the book, the ebook, and that's, I'll be writing in weird places. I mean, you done been on tour with me. Like, I'll be yeah. at the bar or wherever <laughs> with some headphones and I'll be doing it. I'm weird, fam. But yeah. uh, sugar, sugar Factory shows some, always, they show love. A uh, few folks bought books there and all that stuff, and we were just talking about it. Um, nah, man, and outside is open, which means that that means that the eight black hands is it, it, is ready to hit that road again. So That's, if you yeah. do want to see or hear the eight black hands in public uh, at your in your city, at your school, at your event, then you need to hit us up. We ain't hard to find. You can hit any of the four of us up. Uh, you probably don't want to go through Reed. But every other than that, <laughs> you can hit the four of us up. Um, we are we are back in this thing. Um, but it's been good, man. I just been, you know, just I, I hate that I say grinding every time I come on here, but that's really what's going on. Um, it was a lot of stuff that was happening in the last few weeks that I couldn't necessarily talk about. But I'm glad that the press release came out um, about the money in Indy uh, yeah. for the folks keeping count. Uh, yeah. The little homeless dude from North Oakland, Dusty Kid, that's 130 G's. Hey, yes. walk, walk us through that, man, because that's important. And that's important to highlight, man. A super producer, you give him the screen. I think that this needs to be highlighted. Hey, Chris, how you doing, boss? Um, yeah, no, no, it's cool. I, uh, you know, well, and, and I and I know he don't talk about it a lot, but Chris is actually probably one of the biggest philanthropists out of all of us, right? Like, if you don't know about Wayfinder, you should check it out. I know it's in vogue to be supporting black women and stuff now, but that brother was doing it before uh, people was noticing it, um, and, and Wayfinder's killing it. But basically, um, I had always just wanted to be able to put money directly into the hands of the people that needed it, uh, to see, I just think that our community is one of the best places we can learn from. And I hear a lot of people saying that, but it's not reflected in a bottom line. It's not reflected in a budget. So when I had an opportunity with some funds, I had some really dope partners that trusted and put some faith in me around it. And we rocked out with it. You know what I'm saying? And um, so in Oakland so far for the literacy fund, the People's Literacy Fund, we've given out $100,000 and hopefully we can raise some more to give more away. And then, uh, Folks in Indy, the Mind Trust, they picked up on the idea. Uh, I didn't have, I didn't do as much there, but they utilized the idea uh, and they gave out 30,000. And I just wanted people to know when they say, hey, where'd that come from? It came from two places. One, it came from me being raised around Panthers and the Black Panther breakfast program where you are directly invested in your people. And then two, it just came from me being homeless. This is actually a benefit. When I talk about converting energy, this is what I mean. Had I not been homeless and lived in all those shelters and all that stuff, I, this probably wouldn't have happened because a mini grant of three thousand or four thousand or five thousand dollars would have did wonders for my family at the time. So I'm going to keep pushing. Hopefully at some point I can say I gave away a million and then maybe some more. So thank you for, for that piece. But I just been working hard around that stuff. And I'm looking forward to going to India and meeting some of these people. 
That's what's up, bro. Uh, big homie, Chris, what are you doing, man? What, what's going on? Been a big week. That Friday show was amazing. I don't think you plug Unpublic the way you should because that show is dope and it's a part of my professional development. So what's going on, homie? I appreciate it. Hype man. Hype man. <laughs> For sure. Uh, it's been a good week, brother. So I'm happy to be with y'all again on Sunday. Tomorrow marks the day of my return to travel. So, you know, this is kind of like my last day of a COVID dude you know, at home, Charles. And, you know, you've been traveling already. Sharif has been traveling. I don't know if you've been going anywhere, Ray, but I think you've gone more than I have. Uh, but I'm emerging. So tomorrow I'm on my way to Atlanta uh, for a couple of days. And then I come back here to Minnesota and chill out again. And I just was recognizing, you know, we did that show on health, whatever. Yeah, it's weird, but my clothes shrunk during COVID. Oh, is that what happened? Oh yeah. man, that's crazy. That's some wild. You got a wild washing machine. Fam. It did. It <laughs> did. I'm serious. Like the pants shrunk. Uh, everything shrunk. It's weird. So I had to like, I had to reassess my packing in the last 24 hours. But now I'm good, man. That's what's up. All right. So tonight I'm repping Grandview Middle School. Uh, uh, <laughs> Bulldogs. Yeah, Bulldogs in the building. Uh, shout out to. Dr. Smith. He is the proud principal of Grandview Middle School in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. So shout out to him for uh, for making sure I get some gear to rock tonight. Alright, so, you know, the first part oh, of the wait, show... You know, before you go on, uh, yeah. shout out to Kaufman. When y'all gonna bring the eight black hands to Kansas City? There you go. Y'all got a new... Uh, go. Y'all got a new airport. We're repping one of your schools right now today. Um, y'all got more money than baseball. So, uh, Kaufman Union, hit us up. Corey hey, Shoals, look. Sherman, White, uh, you know, not to drop names or nothing, but Corey shows y'all love us. Hey, Bring Chris on code. You know, Chris, you showed up late, brother, but that's we started the show off the same way. Hey, outside is open. That means that the eight black hands is, is is ready to travel again. What's All good? we need is two turntables, a microphone, and a smoke machine. Uh, give us a stage. <laughs> give us a stage and bring us. We are there. Let's do it. Yo, if you're listening to this show right now, please like it, share it, do it what you do, because uh, we need to get this message out and, and, and more people need to be uh, up on what we're talking about. So, so real quick, fellas, we had part one of the show. We had uh, Dr. Lynn and we had Dr. Dixon. They gave uh, us 50 minutes about what CRT is and what CRT is not. Right. And so they did a really good job with setting us up for success to have this conversation that we're about to have right now. And so my first question to you guys is, did we get it wrong in terms of like what our current approach is? Right. Because currently, you know, when you hear a lot of folks that are making this argument about critical race theory, they're like, it's not being taught in K-12 and that's the singular argument, right? Should we be talking about it or approaching it differently? How should we be approaching it? Can you start with Chris? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just saying, because I, I feel like y'all know my take yeah. already. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so I've maintained it. You know, in the in the '90s, I think it was, it became fashionable to start using that that crab meat that wasn't real crab meat. It was like little mm-hmm. round things. You know what I'm talking about? And it, it what, what say it again? Imitation crab meat. The imitation crab meat. And what was that really made out of? Uh, it wasn't crab, right? It, it wasn't crab. Was no. edible. It was, it was yeah. like some some pollock type fish that they they dipped in crab juice, right? Yeah. So now imagine somebody making you crab salad with that stuff, and you want to argue about the benefits of crab in your diet. 
like the benefits of real crab. And they keep referring to that. And you're like, yeah, but that salad, that crab salad, that's not actually even crab. So we shouldn't even argue about that because that's 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 imitation crab. That's not real crab. There are no health benefits to that if you're talking about crab benefits, blah, blah, right? See, I got to liken everything to food. So when we talk about CRT, what the right has us doing is our- That's why your clothes shrunk. You see, that's exactly what my clothes shrunk. That's a recipe for shrinking clothes right there. You know, um, be at home too much. But I'm only saying that to say that, like, you know, the, the greatest trick that the right has us doing right now is arguing about imitation crab as if it's crab, right? They got us arguing about CRT when really what they're talking about are diversity trainings they don't like, um, you know, changing the history books on things that they don't like. But um, but it's working for them because now you got people showing up who are dumb as a box of rocks, like arguing about CRT. And then we play into the stupidity by arguing about what real CRT is, knowing that that's not even really the issue right it's now. It's never about that. No. So right when you say, are we getting it wrong? That's what comes to mind to me right away is maybe maybe we're getting it wrong by pretending to argue as if it was a good faith argument about an actual scholarly uh, thought system called CRT. And it's not. We know it's not. So, yeah, so we're probably getting it wrong. We should just argue that they're hillbillies. And that they look like hillbillies when they show up to the mic at the schools. And when they say really dumb stuff, like, just because I don't want my child to learn CRT don't mean that I'm a racist, damn it. Nah, girl, that's exactly what that means. And we just know, let's not even try and act. Don't waste any of my gray matter on your nonsense after that, because it's too stupid for me. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've, I've kind of maintained the same thing around this. And, and in that article that I just published, um, just around communities on code, like I never thought that the CRT thing was an issue because we ha it ain't like we never have been being taught our appropriate history. Right. You know what I'm saying? But I think so. I pushed on it in a different way. When you say, are we getting it wrong, Ray? Like our approach? I yeah. think we just always on defense and we fall into that being right. on defense all the time. Every So if, if the best, as, as Chris likes to say, if the talented 10th, them cast with them degrees, mm -hmm. if every time they get on camera, you know what I'm saying? And they got to they got to defend this whole CRT thing and explain it and do that. I think that other side is just out strategizing. I think it's a dog whistle the way there's always dog whistles. Right. And, and I know I reference this book a lot. Thomas Frank, What's the Matter with Kansas? And there's an underlying concept in that book that I read in undergrad. And the underlying concept is I can keep white people poor. I can keep everybody in this country poor as long as they know they are at least better than these black folks or these brown folks, right? Because the question of that book, Ray and Chris, was why do people in Kansas vote against their self-interest? And the thing is, is that how you feel about yourself is really important. So if you in the if you somewhere else and you ain't dealt with black folks and whatever, right? And then it's the new boogeyman. And what they're saying is, look, they're trying to change all the history books. And in the history books, they're gonna be kings and queens, and all y'all are gonna. They're going to they gonna kill us from these history books. They're going to say we evil. They're going to say all of us are racist. All of us are this. And people that have never had to tangle. CRT is not something that comes up in everyday life normally. It's a very no. highfalutin no. term, right, that I've dealt with in, uh, in grad school. You know what I'm saying? At a very high, high level. You yeah. know, and, and I appreciate the concept. What I would like to see us do is be better critical thinkers, right? I would like us to ask questions of why is this happening now? Who is leading this? When does it when does that opportunity come up? And then what can we do about it? And that's where I was coming up with this whole how do you raise kids on code? 
how do you raise communities on code so we don't get so the tail doesn't continue to wag the dog the way that we've been doing that in the last few months. And now because we've given it so much air and we've like engaged so much, now we got to really dive in because laws are starting to get passed and things like this. And little girls are showing up at a podium and giving eloquent speeches that they've heard their mother and father talk about in their schools, right? So I think it's, you know, anyway, I, I don't want to keep going on. And Ray, I, I love your thought because you, Chris and Sharif, I think y'all did a beautiful job when it came up to really dive into this piece. And I was trying to take a different con- uh, a different way into it. And I know you, you put together a show earlier today that I was talking about it. So I think it's only, it makes sense for you to have the last word on this until Sharif comes. Yeah, so, well, speaking about, speaking of Sharif, um, so we were just recently involved in a debate yeah. about critical race theory, in which hey, where can we watch that? And, and Rick, oh, let me let me let me. Oh, sorry, I want to watch it after I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I just want—I I didn't want to think I wasn't supporting. Him. I just really couldn't find a link. Sharif was the only person that was prepared for that debate, in which Reef is the only person that answered questions that were in regards to critical race theory, and the other person, right? Looked like Mike Pence when he was debating, right? You know how like he, with the fly, with the fly, on, fly his on his head, <laughs> with the fly on his head, like CRT was the fly on his head, and he ignored CRT the whole time that he was debating, right? Yeah. It was the, it, they shouldn't even call it a debate, right? So that's part one of it. Part two of it is that Reef took care of business as we knew he would, but Reef shouldn't have even been the person that was debating against that person. The person that's debating that should have been debating against that person is the beige guy that's on the screen right now. Beige power, baby. Beige, beige power. power. Yeah. So, right. so, 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 so. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that because you know we we know holds bar here. We 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 talk about things the way that it needs to be talked about. Yeah. And so I think yeah. that. But I, but just the energy. And well, I let me just say this. Let me just yeah. say shout out to Nina Reese and shout out to the National Alliance of Public Charter Schools for allowing Ian Rowe from American Enterprise Institute to, bu- get a call from to, to, to boot me off of a panel after years and years and years of supporting their work, supporting both Nina and the National Alliance of Charter Schools. Shout out to them for uh, allowing a black conservative who has one of the most problematic ideas right now about CRT within our race, uh, um, allowing him to define the Debate in a way that got me booted off of one of their panels in their big uh, their big shindig that they just did where they had a bunch of Negroes sitting on different panels, but they didn't want to have the real discussion on this. Shout out to them for like, like showing their true colors in a, in a tough time. But uh, I don't know what you else, else you wanted to say about that, Ray. I mean, the, the people aren't ready. I don't want to say nothing. <laughs> yeah, the field's not ready. No, the field's not ready. Yeah, the field's not ready. Ed reform in the field is not ready. There is a national conversation going on right now with conservatives who are running up to courthouses, passing laws that impact our people, impact our children, what they can learn, how they can learn it, what can be said, how smart they're going to be about the world that they live in. And that is a very uh, specific threat to us because this is how white power works. It gets policy passed. It doesn't just demonstrate in streets and have nothing change over years. No, they get policies passed that change the structures. Mm -hmm. And over time, the structures become more and more and more in their favor. This is what I have to say about like, you know, what's wrong with Kansas, uh, Charles, is, is just this. 
those white folks are not voting against their interests. Mm-hmm. Like, That's like, what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah. But white, white liberals like to say, well, I don't get why they would vote against their interests. You know, it's in their interest for us all to economically be the same and economically have opportunity. No, it's yeah. not. It's yeah. in their best interest to keep the narrative alive that keeps them in place, like keeps them in a place of power. And shout out to our, to the, our folks within Reform World who are participating in keeping that alive, either through their silence, because silence is complicity, or through their both-siderism. Oh, you know, well, both sides are kind of making good points here. Nah, baby, there ain't two sides to rape. There ain't two sides to slavery. There ain't two sides to, like, oppression. There's one side, right? There's two sides to a lot of things. Where should we eat tonight? I don't know. It could be Taco Bell or it could be Burger King. I can see both, right? Hey, that new chicken sandwich from Burger King. <laughs> and that's why his clothes are shrinking. That's why the clothes are shrinking. Because I understand both siderism when it matters. I understand both siders. Look, look, yeah, both sides you know? of the burger. I feel it. And I, I we all struggle with that a little bit. Maybe not there are right. two sides to a pancake. There are not two sides to CRT. But, but again, but, I, but I'm going to push back, right? Not push back. I agree with you, but I'm let. But let's critically think about this, right? Uh, and I and I like the way Ray set it up. It ain't that Sharif, the only person that showed up prepared. He's the only one that showed up prepared to talk about in an honest format about critical race theory. That's right. This is another platform for more dog whistles to spread wider and it cuts across. Remember, we just did a show about straightening or straightening, as the Migos would say, right? When we were talking about, <laughs> listen, we not, we not on we not aligned on everything. You know what I'm saying? That's right. We That's can agree right. on this stuff, right? But like again, people feel like their livelihood is being come after. People like and, and the more this is what they do, right? They they'll they will take these extreme. Because listen, let me tell you the people that's really on the left, too. You people that's super woke, my black people that's super woke and doing videos, talking about CRT themselves, but saying that we're going to kill whitey and we're going to do this. Those videos are out there. Those are the videos that people are circulating, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? We've done so much of just mm-hmm. to the fucking limit on everything. Like, it's super people, it's super, super right, and it's super, super left. You know what I'm saying? And I think that, like, let me let's just be very, very clear. People want real history to be taught, not a watered down, tepid version that makes certain people feel good about themselves. And just because there is something in your ancestry that you might not be fine flattering does not mean everybody will hate you. It is just straightening up the facts. I live in a family that has a bunch of drug abuse and 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 jail time and a whole bunch of stuff and death and all that stuff. And it just the facts are the facts. I wasn't there. I didn't have anything to do with that. But it is what it is. And even though that's in my blood and I'm there and I've seen it, there's also some really good stuff there. But it's my responsibility to make sure that I break some cycles of some things in the past. White people, you don't have to be afraid of this CRT stuff and what the truth is. It just means that there's some stuff in your past that we need to confront so we can be better and break those cycles. Yeah. I got some there's some dope white people that I like, man. And these black people, this the other thing. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to go off on your boy, right? Like, cause he got <laughs> something coming out around the term that I that I hold near and dear to my heart. And you will not bastardize that. You will not black boy whitewash that. And what I mean is you, you gotta look at people with a stronger eye when they are happy being the only Negro in a sea full of white people and everybody laughing at you and you ain't told a joke. They laughing at you, bruh. They're not laughing with you. You know what I'm saying? They are using you to put you out front to let you go bite your people that look like you. You, They are like those people that you see with a dog on a leash. They, the person behind you ain't jumping up and barking at the other dogs. They're using a black person to do that. 
You know what I'm saying? We can have a conversation offline because y'all know how I feel about black people and trying to, and before we put stuff out there or whatever, but if you're going to be a sucker about it, if you're going to, if you're going to ambush my man about it and to you people that we have supported you because we care about education, academic freedom and choice, then all of y'all can get this work. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Respectfully. So these folks that are that, that are going at the critical race theory, uh, making it all encompassing, uh, making it all of these things that it's not. What are they trying to hide? That That's the question, Chris. What are they trying to hide? I really don't think they're trying to hide anything. I think that they're trying to keep the power, the, the narrative that keeps them in power. They're just trying to make sure that it gets preserved. I think that people are sincerely spooked. They see it coming. The writing is on the wall. They see the browning of America. They see like, like this is what, listen, think about all the things that they're fighting right now. And they all pertain to positional power and, and, and numbers, uh, uh, fighting people coming through at the border. You know, um, you have Tucker Carlson on TV saying, we don't need any of these people coming from dirty countries. They make America dirty. Diversity is not our strength. You have uh, Scalise saying stuff like, we can't build a civilization with somebody else's baby. You had your last president talking about, we can't have these people coming from shithole countries. And if they don't like it, they should go home. They're trying to fight abortion. Anything that reduces the white birth rate, the white number, numerical superiority. Um, And then they see like schools, especially in education, it's like the first time that the student body is majority minorities. So they're starting to see things like, no, your teachers are going to have to like rethink things. They're going to have to rethink the way that they've done stuff with these kids before. They're going to have to ask themselves, am I racist? Do I have implicit bias? Is there implicit bias in this system? Are we telling these stories the wrong way? Were our so-called founding fathers really rapists and, and, and uh, human traffickers, right? Like that makes people deeply uncomfortable. If you have been in power forever, If the only way that you have ever known the world is that you are number one and everybody else is beneath you and you start seeing the day coming where you are going to be number two or one among many, like you you don't just get to stand up and say whatever you want anymore and everybody has to take notice. That's got to be a very terrifying thought. You know why? Here's the reason why it's most terrifying. If there's any justice in the world, you will be treated the same way you spent 400 years to treating other people, because that's what justice is. That's what justice means. And there's not a person of color who's advocating that because that people of color are too busy trying to do the MLK thing, talking about let's just all have the beloved community or whatnot. But you, if you're smart and you white, you might not trust that. You might not trust that. Yeah. It's the reason why they don't like to they don't like to be in rooms right now where they're the minority. <laughs> they don't like to go to neighborhoods where they're a minority, right. right? They feel out of place. Like, and we do it all the time. We go to conferences <laughs> where there's four of us, there's mm-hmm. two of us sitting in the back room talking shit. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't I like mean, that position. Yeah, you, you said what they hide, and I think I agree with you. I don't know if they hide and stuff, Ray. I think that again, I know I'm a broken record, man, but I, I believe it. It's empire talk, bro. Like again. There are two ways that empires take over. First, they take over physically, but then you have to take over mentally. Like we do not in, we do not educate in empires. We indoctrinate. And what you are fighting is, is too many smart people now with enough power to say this is indoctrination. This is not 
education. It is not education in Texas when you take when you take the te- the term slavery out and you put in other terms to soften that blow. It is not education to 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 find cases of happy slaves or whatever the case is. And what and what they really here's what they are afraid of. I will tell you this, Ray. If you look at a census tract and if you look at communities around the country, regardless of the state, brown folks is coming. Okay, brown folks are coming and demographics are shifting. And that means that power is shifting. And I think that that's what has happened. Right. There's a power shift that's happening. And let me also say this for the dumb folks on the other side. That's going to be like, well, see, y'all support this, this and this. Wait, wait. Multiple things can be true. I still believe in choice and education. Let's let's not get it twisted. And for you people that's talking about segregation versus choice, y'all almost as bad as these people that's getting CRT wrong. Let me tell you why. Let me explain. Segregation is being told by other people what I have to do, that I have to be with these people. I have to go to these schools or whatever the case is. Choice is when I look at options and I make a choice based off of what I want. And the people that conflate choice and segregation, I'm putting you in the same boat as these crazy people that's conflating CRT with dog whistles and a whole bunch of other shit that's saying that we about to try to come and eat white people. Like, all of y'all are fucking crazy, man. Like, the, the reason why this is happening, y'all, is because the internet only responds to extremes. It does not respond to level-headedness. It doesn't respond to evidence. And you know what? The eight black hands is here. We will keep hitting you in the head with that. And if you got to straighten it with some other people in our own camp, fine, we'll do that. But you still not going to make me go to that school down the street if that's not where the fuck I want to go. Period. You know what I'm saying? So they ain't hiding nothing, Ray. They just It's just a power struggle, and they playing a game of chess, and a lot of us don't know the game that we playing. A lot of us are showing up to the debate, and listen, man, Sharif is one of the best people we know. He is an earnest, honest dude, and he went, I believe Sharif went to that thing with the with the most honesty in his heart, right? Best with, of intentions. With the best of intentions. But you you needed a killer to go. You know what I'm saying? You needed a Chris or a me or a you that's like... I'm glad he went though. I'll say this. I'm glad, I'm glad he went. He went because you know what Sharif is good at. Sharif has good faith wherever he goes. So Absolutely. He, he came to a he came to a bad faith fight with mm-hmm. good faith, and he gave a good faith argument uh, in a bad faith because because everything about the other side there and the, everything about the way the phony conversation was even set up and orchestrated mm-hmm. was phony. Right. Literally, the only reason that that Ian Rowe was there was because they needed a black man who was on the other side, who's also run a charter school. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's funny that you have a black conservative who is literally only on the stage because he's black. I'm a black Black. conservative. No, you're not. You ain't that type of black conservative. I'm a black conservative. Right. You a black conservative. We ain't that type of black conservative. I I have no confusion. I am not a black conservative. Just for the record. Let's be be clear about this. Let's be clear about this. I am a black conservative. I have said it on the show before. Let me clarify again. There is a difference between a black conservative and a conservative who happens to be black. A conservative who happens to be black is basically a white conservative with a black face. A black conservative is somebody who has looked at the entire history of blackness and has saw what things work best for us and wants to preserve those things and conserve those things like the family, like the church, like the institutions that we have built, like HBCUs. That, in my mind, is a black conservative. What has worked for us and what do we need to preserve? So let's let's get it straight. Some folks are conservatives who happen to be black. We don't have any of those on this show. And you know They're what? And, and, and program. Do y'all watch Sam J. Uh, uh, Pause. It's, you should watch it. There's she actually did a really good like her show is just really dope. It's this black. Uh, it's this black woman who has this show. She used to write on SNL, but she had 
actually uh, King Randall made it, but she has some black conservatives that actually were talking in a way I haven't heard. It was actually really, really good. And I think that they, I think that we are in a time. Connie Johnson? Huh? Was it Sonny Johnson? I don't know the other name, but that it but yeah. they wasn't on some cool stuff. It was actually like a real conversation where these people were like, I love black people. I'm not on that whole like yeah. they're dope. Just, she, and, she, and they had a real good conversation and she took some heat from, but she didn't care. But the point that I'm making is around this, right? Like, you know, we have to figure out what our strategy is to combat this. Because if you just keep reacting, if we just react to everything, then they are controlling the energy that we have. We might feel like like we might say something, but the people that's like mine are the people that's thinking about it. Ian says stuff that spoke to the crowd that he wanted to speak to. They are going to parrot those terms forever, right? Tucker says stuff to his people. You feel me? Like, they're going to parrot that stuff. They're playing a different game, a game where they don't care what black people think. It's not about you. It's not about brown people. It is about them rallying their troops, getting the people, the white people that they feel are at home with their feet up. And getting them active. It's about activating those households that are the parents of that, that little girl mm-hmm. that we're going to watch in a little bit who went up no. and very eloquently was just the most eloquent wrong thing I'd ever heard. Right. But that's a baby. <laughs> we can't watch. We, hey, we can't watch it. Facebook. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, until pro. Oh, it's all good. Well, I can, I, basically, there was a little girl who <laughs> went up in our school on, in front of her school board and she read from this yeah. paper. And I think that the little girl, for all intents and purposes, I think she really believes that. Like, I'm not I don't care what I'm not about to attack a little girl. Right. I'm not going to attack yeah. this baby. Yeah. But but what it is, is you can tell like that's just that's the household she lives in. These are the conversations that she has. And the two people who is in her DNA to trust and build and, and protect her like she that's what they have told her is right and wrong in this world. You know what I'm saying? And that's you know, you talk about. Just imagine what she's going to be in the future. You know what I mean? But then you should tell people what you're talking about. Hey, so no, for I'm, people I'm, sharing have, a, I'm sharing a link with them. I shared the link, link with people who haven't seen the, it. Yeah. It's a it's a little girl in Lake uh, Lakeville, Minnesota. Went to the school board. Had a prepared statement What's in up her with your state. Yeah, in her statement, uh, uh, bruh, like, don't even talk about California. Don't make it about Minnesota. It's not like y'all are without you, without your struggles. Uh, I'm gonna need California to pick a struggle right now. Do you want a governor or not? Uh, anyways, uh, so basically, she said a lot of stuff in her speech was like, uh, it was all MAGA stuff. And it was just fast and quick, like she had been studying Tommy Laren. Like she, like somebody had put her in front of Tommy Laren video and said, watch this and, and then say it like this. And it was what Charles just said, I think is what I struggled with when I played it on two shows last week, which was you don't want to attack young people. However, I'm a parent and I have a daughter near her age and I want my daughter anywhere near that little girl. So I, I'm going to have to just say it. I'm a parent. I do. There are some people I don't want sitting next to my kid. And, that, and that's one of them. That little girl is going to be part of the mean girl contingent in a mostly white school where we have a handful of, of people of color in that school. And she's going to be bullying some little black girl or some beige girl and making them not feel up to snuff enough and going to make their make their life miserable because she at home with the like second coming of David Duke uh, and bringing that shit to school. So I just want to be very clear and real about about like, yeah, you don't attack kids, maybe. Right. But you attack facts. That's a problem. That child's a problem. The problem for my kid. Oh, yeah. She knows she's a she's going to be a problem for everybody because they're right. about to prop her up everywhere. She, That's right. I mean, she did well in what she was sent to do. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You know what I'm saying? It just it yeah. man, go ahead, Ray. I just it's just it's wild, bro. Uh oh, Ray's uh oh, what you nah, got? Ray? Nah, 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 I'm not oh, jumping in that. I'm not oh, jumping okay. into that one. No, sir. Uh-uh. Well, we got uh, some more. Uh, I'll uh, do it. Uh, so, no. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 now on, on some on some seriousness, right? What what I have what 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 my biggest take one of my largest takeaways from uh this critical race theory debate 
is the fact that we need our own schools, right? Mm-hmm. So like I feel like when you when you really look at the uh the conservative argument on the other side, right, of this argument and how they are vitriol in terms of like not wanting not wanting their kids to know the truth, not wanting uh white folks to feel uncomfortable in diversity trainings or have to be exposed to diversity training, how they have moved this narrative to where um talking about race is unimportant and it shouldn't be in the military and like just all kinds of ways that we have like interweaved um, how they feel uncomfortable about talking about race. Mm-hmm. I think that this is a perfect commercial for school choice. Right. But this time let's get school choice. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got it wrong before when we mm-hmm. talked about this whole separate but equal thing. Right. Mm-hmm. We never got equal. Right. So this time give us equal, mm-hmm. give us, Fair funding, give parents the right to put their schools where where their kids, wherever they want to put their kids without any kind of restrictions and make it easy and accessible for black folks that want to run schools to be able to run schools. Because right now there's a lot of restrictions in terms of like, you know, if you're going to do it as a charter school, if you could do it as a traditional public school, which can't exist unless you go and migrate and open your own town. But um, we need to make more funding for uh, for private schools. And then also if kids are, if we're opening private schools and, and it's tuition based, the per people should still follow the child in addition to the tuition so that we can really run the numbers up in terms of what we can do for, 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 for black kids and brown kids. Now, now what you saying right now, you should say that to Charles, uh, his his party. You should say that to Charles's people because oh, see, 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 because see, like if we had a president right now who was really about the people, what he would have said was, "You just went through a year and a half or two years where the government completely failed your children, and the systems were so busted up and broken they couldn't get their pants on. They couldn't deliver remotely. They couldn't deliver in person at the same rate that private schools did." and the same rate that charter schools did and they had nothing for you so what we're going to do now is instead of just giving them 200 billion dollars raining from the sky to do whatever they want like to to i mean literally districts are going to be doing all kinds of crazy shit just with with this money right yeah. instead of doing that he should have said uh looked at people in the camera and said nothing is more important in a civilization than the people who give us new citizens and the only people who do that are parents we are sending you 200 billion dollars for the educational lives of your children they will be put into educational savings accounts for every one of your children you got one child you're going to get sixteen thousand dollars a year you get two you're going to get thirty two thousand dollars a year and so on and if you went to public school and you can't do the math we're going to have somebody help you understand how much money you getting for each of your children and then you're going to sit down with a professional and decide what type of educational program they're going to have you're going to write with a, with a professional and it's going to give you we're going to give you 290 billion dollars to do it parents not districts not pensions not pensions sorry people over pensions right that's the way your party could have done, Charles. Well, I'm going to say this. No, I, 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 I'll say this because it's gang shit, right? Like, and I got another article coming out soon called Gang Shit. I think Democrats is a gang and Republicans is a gang. And they might wear different colors, but they actually want the same thing. And I'll give you an example. See, this is where critical thinking comes in. When Donald Trump said to, to people, don't come to this country. If you're not from here, don't come here, right? And our, the left Democrats was like, this is terrible. This is horrible. And cages and this, that, and the third. And then, you know what Kamala Harris said a few weeks ago? 
listen, if you're not from here, don't come to this country, right? Like it's about maintaining the empire. And I actually agree with what Ray was saying. And I would say, let's go even further. And, I, and I've said this and I know, I know you all agree because Ray said this too. I'm going to talk to my black people right now. I don't, I, listen, I will utilize public schools, charter schools, whatever the case is. I want, but we got enough money around black people. I want black independent schools outside of a system where somebody can't come in in five years and arbitrarily tell you that you're good or bad or whatever the case is. I, raise your hand if you're on this podcast and you don't seen a good charter school get shut down that was killing it, but because of politics. Yes, Chris, you've seen it too. Like, so, <laughs> but, I've seen every kind of school. To be real, I've seen every kind of school get shut down, including right, right. private schools. Right. But what I'm saying is, if, but I'm so why you didn't raise your hand? Huh? <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for the punch guy because he said no, 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 but the charter schools, but I was like, and private and, yeah, and, all of them. and magnets I've seen but, closed. But what I'm right, saying so. is a lot of this gets shut down if we have private schools where we have supplemented the, 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 the tuition for those kids, those black kids to go to or whatever. We have our people and we teaching our history and we got to start raising our communities on code, man. I really think if we want something radical. There's a lot of people that watch this podcast. There's a lot of people with deep pockets that watch this podcast. There's people at DC's uh, in DC that watched it, that do all kind of stuff. Listen, if you don't, let me, let me, let me, let me appeal to our white folks that don't like us. Right. (laughs) Listen to me. If you're tired of black folks folks all in your schools, if you're tired of seeing our parents on the stage, all that stuff, what you should do is help us get some independent dollars, right? right. Where we can build our own schools. Because again, it's about, it's the difference between segregation and choices. And if you don't believe me, look at Sunday morning across the United States, okay? In the churches, you see black folks in their church, brown folks in their church, white people, and there's some that's mixed, but those churches tend to be weird. But if you, if to the white folks that don't like us, help us get our independent schools. Just help me. It's cool. Listen, man, I am on my Fred Hampton right now, yo. Like, we will have this new rainbow coalition, and you can have whatever you want. And But I, I'm just saying, I, I, I mean, in all seriousness, though, you guys, like, we keep expecting governments to do different by us and they're not playing the game. They don't care about your kids being educated. The, the goal isn't to educate and have critical thinking population. It is to have one that falls in line. It is to have everybody in America say this is the best country in the world. It is to have people say, listen, we are the strongest and we're this and we're that. It's not about teaching people about real history and who they are. It's about making everybody feel like they're lucky to be here. And mm-hmm. as long as that's the case, you are arguing with brick walls that will just find different ways to tell you the same shit. You know, I think it's funny, Charles. I think it's funny that you put out that call to white folks with money. <laughs> oh, I'm putting it to black people too. No, but see, you said white folks. Y'all sick no, no. of be, you sick of us being all up in your thing and all up in your blah 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 and whatnot. Well, and well, I, I probably miss, what I want is I want is our black. I, I'm saying we got enough money as black people. Like we have we have black billionaires, black millionaires, or whatever the case is. We ain't giving that. Okay, so here's my moment. Here's my mm-hmm. moment. Bad take moment. They ain't yeah. giving shit to education. Ain't giving the, the reason we are so frustrated with white philanthropy. White philanthropy in the United States is because black philanthropy is so backwards. Right now and ain't giving shit to us. And even, even many of the ones that are actually in white foundations sometimes act more as gatekeepers than getting the money out the door for some of their counterparts, their white counterparts are doing. So I would love to hear the plan around black folks 
self-funding schools I would love it. at all levels love it. in small increments or low-cost private schools where, I mean, working class people were paying for, for uh, Catholic schools for years. That, that was a thing that Black and Latino families have done that. Like working class Black and Latino families have been able to pull it off. So there's got to be a model that allows us to stop the frustration of depending and waiting, not just on government, but also on white philanthropy, which sometimes, listen, honestly, a lot of the work that we're doing, the only way it's getting done is through white philanthropy. Mm-hmm. But but go knocking on some black doors and see what oh, happens. Yeah. See how many of them really want to like, 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 and I can start naming names, but I'm not going to because I still hope they might come through. I hope they might wake <laughs> up one day. I hope they might wake up one day and be like, you know what? I'm investing a lot of stuff except for the 8 million black children who ain't getting an education. Maybe I should start some black private schools. Maybe mm-hmm. I should pull some money. And you're starting to see it with sports stars. You're starting to see it with entertainers. Yeah. But you ain't seen it with the black billionaires yet. The, the, mm-hmm. the black folks with real money, like mm-hmm. with, with white folk money, are not yet starting schools yet. I don't know why. Oprah's got schools in, in, in Africa, Africa. Still, right? Yeah. yeah. She's Africa. But, yeah. You know, but, but you know what, though? And, and she I mean, was from Africa, though, like immediately, though, right? She was from Africa a long time ago. She, she, she was from somewhere else before Africa, right? Like, the spirit of Oprah recently. Come up behind you and choke okay, you out. All right. But all right. It's gonna get I love you. me you, some Oprah. Oprah, I love you. You know, middle class white women all over the country about to choke you out. Like, yeah, whatever. But, but, but whatever. I was going to say, you know what? And it don't it, it don't. I mean, it would be nice to have a bunch of brick and mortar. But we just went through a full year. Right. Like we know what's possible with online, too. Right. Like and there are some online, you know, things or whatever the case is. But we should. I feel like it's not that difficult. As difficult as we make it seem. I'm not making saying anything is easy, but to at least get started. There should be an online apparatus of black education where people can put their kids in, even if they still got to go to these other schools or whatever. Right. We have to offset and tell the truth to our people and stop depending on your captor, your captors to do that for you. That's just never going to happen. Like, again, I say this, man, I know y'all tired of hearing it. Power does not concede itself. It just doesn't. That's just not how power works. You have to take it. You have to take power. And I just feel like like. We need our like I'm with you, Chris. We need our black billionaires and millionaires to step on up, man. You and ain't got to run it. And our gatekeepers. And our yeah, and our gatekeepers. I, I do. Yeah. I, I one thousand percent agree with you. The only thing I was appealing to the white folks for, Chris, is just don't get in the way when it starts happening. Just like let it happen because it's what yeah. you want. Yeah. <laughs> it is what you want. I mean, somewhere right now, there's a white person who is sitting there with their check register, looking at it, thinking of all the checks they didn't wrote recently mm-hmm. that, that that amount to, to hundreds of millions of dollars over time. Mm-hmm. And at some point, if I was there, my psychology would be, why don't your own people give to you? Like, I get that you think that there's something wrong with me. Don't, and don't, Chris, don't mess up the money for everybody. So. Chris about to tank the pool for everybody. You see, hey, you listen, see how Negroes hey, do? Listen. Real talk. Real talk. <laughs> He's on to something, but look, put right back on the move, screen, please. Yeah, yeah, let's, move, let's, move, let's move it forward. All right, so, 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 we, I just lost using, all my grants because of this dude. Okay, thank you, Chris. <laughs> you, hey, but hey, but, but maybe you'll get some black ones. Hey, listen, hey, even, even if you lose all of them, you still gonna pick yourself up oh, here, and do what you gotta lost, do. Oh, yeah, no, it's, that's who you are. That's ingrained. Off, in you. it ain't that much in, in the yeah. beginning, but uh, yeah, but I'm saying nothing in the back. You're a hustler, but anyway, um, so. When we think when we think critically about like what's happening right now in education, right? Uh, if you look at any other part of education, if something happens, who's the first that you hear from? The first people that you hear from is the teachers union, 
right? Mm-hmm. And they're usually going all out in terms of like any kind of campaign to do anything that well, we got like, to for this. Like, like for example, for for COVID, right? You you had you you had, you had Randy Weingarten who who was pretty much the the CEO of the CDC at this point, right? Because everything that you heard from the CDC in terms of like listening to the science wasn't actually totally listening to the science as much as it was listening to her, right? And so when you look at the emails that have come out that have been foiled and stuff, um, the statements that have been written by the union. So my question to y'all, and and I know y'all have some really good answers for this, is that um, why isn't the union sticking up for critical race theory and for teachers' ability to have free speech in the classroom. Charles, let's go with you. Well, this is the part where when we get all our equipment set up, Josh, this is where you would insert the Game of Thrones clip of I Choose Violence. <laughs> this is this is choosing violence, ladies and gentlemen. Why doesn't the white-led, the white women-led organization have anything to say about the CRT debacle across the country? Because the same reason that them people was quiet when slaves was getting raped and beat, the same reason that whenever they was uncomfortable, somebody said that they got raped by a black man and they got drugged through the, because it's beneficial to the overall plan. Listen, man, I'm not on some conspiracy stuff, man. Y'all be thinking people be going against their self-interest. They do not. And I think that there's a lot of people in powerful positions within those organizations that, listen, the same way we had to do some straightening last week in our ed reform world, it's some black folks right now. And this is why I'm shooting some bail. It's some black folks in them organizations that's probably having similar conversations like, wait, you just not going to say nothing about this? You just going to keep this there? Because, bro, it's, it's, it's to their benefit, man. It is to the benefit of nobody is going to make themselves. It's a white women's organization that got other people in it. Why would I... Why would I get on a train that's about to make me look bad if, I, if this is what I think that this is? If I have a bad understanding of what CRT is and I think they about to make us the boogeyman and all these black and brown people getting powerful and they starting to speak up and Internet and social media is a motherfucker right now. Why would I get on the train of that so you can drag me? I, the t- if you've been in the teachers union, you've been you've been you've been getting love for a long time. But guess what? Shit's starting to change. First, the first untouchable union was the police union. And you saw what happened with that. And we said it on this very show. If you got that heat for them, but for killing black bodies on TV and all that stuff, where's that same heat for slowly killing the brains of black kids with no accountability? What you know what the damn answer is, Ray? Because you're just choosing violence and you want me and Chris to be on the screen full. When we say it, so you'll be like, I just asked a question. But Chris, I will head, I will tag in Chris Stewart because that was just a warm-up. I got popcorn ready for this. You about to see some beige rage. He should get the whole screen. He about to get the whole screen, baby. Uh, no, I think you did it. I think you know, listen, no, I can't improve upon what you just said, except for because I'm gonna be broken record in this show tonight. Uh, the majority of these white teachers that are and parents that are banding together to leak the lessons that are being that are taking place in schools that are supposedly CRT lessons. These things are being leaked. 
by teachers to the press. They were leaked to the main organizer guy who started this whole thing. And, uh, you know, like the, the white parents are coming out. Loudoun County, I just saw a press release or a press conference that they did. Men are organized. They're smart. They're college educated. They got little Facebook groups. They're doing They've hired investigators. They've got lawyers. They're attacking school board members, running uh, recall movement. They got teachers on the inside that are working with them to feed them information. What's interesting about it is most of that's in suburbs, right? So the AFT is the AFT mostly uh, organizes uh, city teachers. So if I was Randy Weingarten, I would be like thinking, wow, y'all got a real problem out there because people ain't showing up to, to black people's school districts. Uh, with that nonsense. This is mostly happening in, in white enclaves and suburbs and places where the NEA is the organizing body, the National Union. And I just like to remind folks that the NEA is run by a black woman, is run by Becky Pringle. She is the president of the NEA. And before her, uh, I would like to remind people that it was a, a Latina woman who was running the NEA. And, uh, you know, and, and well, I mean, I should say this, the city urban uh, National Union has never had a black president, even though the leader of the free world has been black. The AFT still has not had a black president, which is weird. But uh, I'm going to say this much. I mean, Becky Pringle, she did get out on fo- social media weekend before last. They did have a national thing. She held a sign up that said teach truth. They had a hashtag and all this stuff. But she knows where her bread is. She knows who her her members are. She knows what type of situation they got going on. I'll give you another. You know, I mean, listen, the, the, the Heritage Foundation president is a black woman. The Heritage Foundation is the one who's dropping all this anti voter suppression uh, stealth bills in there. So this isn't as clean as we think it is. This isn't as clean as white and black as 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 we normally. I mean, you got Ian Rowe popping up, uh, you know, being propped up by the Charter School Association to say that uh, we're too obsessed with race and all we need to do is teach kids to, to not have kids and to get jobs, Like, which is literally his ministry is just basically to say structural racism doesn't exist. Cultural deficiency is what exists. And then you have a black leader of the Heritage Foundation and a black leader of the NEA or whatnot. Man, this is a perfect storm for casting. If I was in white supremacy, if I had stock in white supremacy i'd be feeling good right now it'd be like this is a bear market this is like a like you got people showing up you got candace owens and that whole clicking crew and whatnot you got people showing up with all kinds of cultural suicide all kinds of like negro kool-aid suicide it's just terrible but (laughs) but i just negro kool-aid suicide that article should be out in less than a week chris it's my mixtape. It's coming out this week. I'm dropping it tonight. I just forget about lemonade. You about to go on some Jim Jones stuff tonight, Jack. We about to do this. Um, but I just I just say that to say that, like, you know, maybe I'm adding a ripple tonight of we got black people in white philanthropy who are not doing for us what they should be doing for us. We got black people with money who should be making it so we don't need white philanthropy and they're not stepping up to the to to do the thing. We got black professionals in organizations, including in schools and school districts who have turned their back on what's best for us because they're on some bougie classist bullshit about what we need. And, and, and they're trying to trap our kids into the schools where they draw their pensions, just like their white counterparts. And we have a black leader, of the NEA and a black leader of the Heritage Foundation or whatnot. This this ain't this ain't as clean as it used to be. It's that kinfolk, skinfolk thing, right? But I'm beige, what I know. <laughs> hey, so you know, I'm, I'm glad. 
<laughs> Yo, this has been an amazing show. Trust me. <laughs> yo, yo, oh my God. Yo, yo, listen. I will host every week if I can just get ask the right questions to get y'all to say the things that I want to say that I don't have to no longer say because y'all saying it. I love it. All right, but but so here's what we have, right? So we got black superintendents, don't have very many of them, right? But we have black superintendents around the country that are like running the face and, and, and doing the dirty work in terms of like uh talking about equity, talking about uh, intersectionality and like all those things that need to be talked about in school districts with black and brown kids, with all kids, right? And so now because of uh, their level of equity work, they are being attacked by folks that don't really understand what what critical race theory is and is not. And so since they're putting everything in this pot and making it a critical race gumbo, right? You're seeing prominent superintendents that are now being attacked. And so how can we support those folks? Because, you know, you know, we got to support them. So then what's, what's the plan for that? Hell, you, the person at the bottom of the screen been doing that. So we should probably, Chris, you you pick if you want to go first or last on this one, Chris, because this is what your ministry. Make it as simple as you want to make it. Do support them. That, like that's as simple as I can make it. Show up. Your 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 education leaders oftentimes are trying to do things, uh, but the only people that they hear from are the people that want them to do inequitable things. Where Charles lives in Oakland, it's not uncommon for there to be a part of town where the white parents have a lot of say in things. In Seattle, it's the same thing. In in uh, in the places in the south and in places in the north and the east and the west, you have a contingent of the KKK Karens who come running up, asking you to change boundaries, asking you to change uh, assessments, change programs, change the way that people get into honors classes, change the way that they like do AP assignments and all of that stuff. And you have a superintendent who's trying to do the right thing, but has no support. Doesn't have any, like, like where are y'all when, when they need you? So the easiest way I can answer that is show up understand, see what's going on, ask who has the power in this room, look at who's come, what people are coming to the podium to say and start analyzing. Oh, now what did she just say? What is that like large group of women over there asking for? Because it seems like they're demanding something for their schools that we should be getting for our schools and show up mm-hmm. and show out when you get there, show up and show out. You know what? This would all be different. Some of these, these, these meetings we're seeing on TV with them coming to shout down people on CRT. If there was a, 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 if there was a, if I was a school board member sitting there, the thing I would want deepest in my heart is for the other side of town to show up. That would be the thing in my heart of hearts. I would want, I would want a balanced room. Like uh, what you saying is if we were the actual stereotypes that they try to paint black people as all the time, this would have got straightened out a long time ago. That's what he's saying in a very nice way. Y'all think that we just violent and angry and yelling and all that shit. And guess what? That ain't even really what happened. Like, man, this country is so lucky that black and brown people have not acted on the rage that you think and fear that they will over all this time. Like, it, it, that, that's what Chris is saying. If y'all want to keep it a band, say that stuff in front of black in, in front of a black mom about her kids. Say that stuff in front of a Mexican mom if, about their kids. Say that stuff. You know what I'm saying? But they don't. Right. 
they utilize that. But Chris, I think that I, I agree with you. I think it's time for us to go on offense, though. I think that as long as we play in defense and we keep playing this prevent defense, we're going to keep getting scored on. And I think that is really tough. But black people, this is the time that we have to put to put aside whatever disagreements we got. Like if you That's in the right. teachers union and That's I'm right. in reform world or you here, or right. you there. This is bigger than that right now. This is about our collective survival and the collective brains of our children. OK, that's right. We I don't want in 200 years that you see the pictures that we saw of Native Americans where you see that everybody done seen that if you done went to college. The picture of the Native American baby in, in Native garb and then at the end of the school year in white traditional garb. This is what they're trying to do mentally to our young people. We have to come together and figure out what the hell we want. Not 30 things. Two or three things. And we got to be OK with not agreeing on the other stuff. There are models for this stuff, man. And, and it all don't require money. Chris, Ray, Sharif and I do a good job of reminding you about this book all the time. This book, the, the, the Chris, go ahead and tell him the line, baby. The, the fastest rate of literacy growth in this country was when? Right after emancipation. Right after it. Right. And like they the didn't 20. have money. 20 to 30 years after emancipation, a massive acquisition of literacy. Absolutely, man. And that's yeah. part, you know what I'm saying? Hey, and like, but you know what that means, though, Charles? What? All this poverty shit that they're talking about in terms of like, oh, kids can't leave, uh, kids can't learn because of, they're poor. You, you know, you know, what's so funny about that, Ray? The reason that I did the People's Literacy Fund, which led to these other funds and hopefully it'll lead to more is because I was that fucking poor. It is because I lived in them shelters. It is because I seen the uglier side that this country has to offer people. Listen, man, I love the United States. So don't try to take shit and like flip it or whatever, because that's what they do. Well, y'all should leave. Y'all should. I'm not leaving nothing that my people help build for free. You understand me? Like, I love this country, but it can be better. It could be better. And stop telling kids they can't learn because they are poor. Right. Like, again, if you don't like hot kitchens, don't be a fucking firefighter. Like we are in a time where we got to stop. We got to. <laughs> y'all got me juice, man. I'm just amped, man. Listen, go read. That means that it was a good show. Go read. I, I go do read. think y'all like now. I like it is because of poverty that we're not learning. Oftentimes in school oh, yeah. districts. Poverty plays a and big role. Just, I'm not taking it. Well, out of I there. just want to be clear about it. I want to clarify my point. Yeah. Yes, when a white woman teacher tells you that she cares about your children and that that poverty is what's stopping them from learning, it is true. It is her poverty of expectations and her poverty of cultural training and her poverty of history and her poverty. So, so yes, it is poverty. It's your poverty, sweetheart. And yeah. you might need to, to be successful elsewhere, somewhere, somewhere away from the classroom where my children go to school, right? Because it Josh, is poverty. It's just not, it's not our problem. It's not our problem. Mark, Josh, clip that, clip that, please. We'll be using that. That's a commercial. <laughs> yeah. Listen, man, our babies, our, our community, what we come from, we've been through a, an extraordinary amount of stuff. You can't stop telling these immigrant folks that come over here and all the shit they went through to get here for their kids to be here that you can't do X, Y, and Z. But here's the thing that a lot of those other groups do that we have not done. Uh, and there's a great term in, in that Acom article that I sent you all of involuntary uh, immigrants, right? So there are voluntary immigrants and there are involuntary immigrants. The people on here on this screen are what you call involuntary immigrants, meaning that we had no desire to come over here to be brought here or whatever the case is. We were brought here against our will. So there were things that were not, you know, things that we were disconnected from. It's very different because they try to, they always try to compare black people to voluntary immigrants. Like, no, no, no. 
Those people worked hard, but they had a plan of getting from Pakistan to here for X amount of reason, right? Which which, which goes into play. And it's really important that we talk about that. But guess what? Somebody gonna call that CRT and say that we can't talk about it. It is what it is, man. Are you are the kids in your house on code? Are the people in your friend group on code? And what does it mean to be on code during this time? Are we gonna just keep defending? Like, listen, man, if somebody said Ray stole some candy and he ain't steal it. Does this motherfucker got to say he ain't stole it 25 different times at the, you know, or does he say, look, this is what I want? I think he stole it, though. He looked guilty. We just got to go, we got to go into offensive. I know my internet's yeah. acting up because it, because they know, you, you know what I'm saying? Chris done brought up the spirit of Oprah and now everybody <laughs> Wi-Fi fucking up. <laughs> That's Oprah, hey. we love you. We need some help, Oprah. Can I get some, we need some money for our own schools. Yeah, hey, hey listen, people. this week we got we got uh, H2O Charles, and he's still as hype as Hennessy Charles. I know we had Hennessy so, Charles hey, last hey, week. Listen, <laughs> hey, listen, we, hey, we got you. Hey, we missing, we missing Reef, Reef, uh, Reef do a cookout at his house, and so he's got a lot of company at his house. He invited me to the cookout, right? So I'm in the text message thread. So had I gone to the cookout, hell, I wouldn't be on the show either. Right. So uh, shout out to Reef, man. Definitely uh, in, in our hearts. So uh, we'll go into closing thoughts. And, uh, and Charles, we'll start with you, bro. Yeah. And just for that record. And if you want to go, Ray, you should because you deserve uh, we all deserve vacations. Listen, people, I want y'all to understand. Y'all know we have not taken any vacations. No, we have in over a year. OK, so whenever we do go off or it's just one or two of us here. I'm, I'm no complaining on this very free product that y'all get where we have not taken any <laughs> no breaks. Okay? No, there no. No, not being any vacations. That's the other right. thing, in the spirit of Reef, he's not here, but you, there, here's a good book that Reef has also read. So it is approved by him. Seeking the Saku um, is by Dr. Way Nobles. And again, if you're trying to get your family and your kids on code, it has some really good stories in there that can just help you with setting things straight in your house. Like your kids should know what to do when they run into somebody that's just off on that history and how to how to question it and and how to push back on those things. Um, we are just very blessed to be able to do this. We need you all, though, to share this. We need you all to have our backs. We need to know who is with us. Right. Because this is the type of talk where people start coming for you. This is the type of talk where stuff from years ago that ain't happened start to start to reemerge because that's how empires work. You know what I mean? We love black people. I'm we black folks. I'm gonna just close on this. We don't have time for this fake faux war that they're trying to build between black men and black women. I love me some black women and and I know black women love black men, man. Stay out the media with that stuff. There are so many different barbs that they're throwing at us while they're doing this. They're not just attacking us from one side. They're attacking us from a bunch of them. This is the time we got to figure out who we are and what we're doing. I want to meet with black leaders and unions. I want to meet with black school leaders, black independent school leaders, black Catholic school leaders. That's the one thing we haven't had on here is that coaching piece. Because I had a, black, a lot of black folks that played sports that went to Catholic schools and private schools. And we ain't got to bring them into the fold yet. But we got to stop being on defense. We, we can't just stay like this forever. Sometimes you got to start jabbing and throwing some uppercuts back. And I'm really excited for what that can look like. And the A Black Hands is here with you. Uh, Chris. I'm on offense every day. So 
I just, you know, it just is what it is. You know, Mama Toya says to let people know that uh, Eight Black Hands next book club is going to be f- uh, Fugitive Pedagogy, which I think would be interesting. It starts August 1st for everybody that might want to join a community like ours so that we are thinking people together at the same time, coming up with thoughts and ideas uh, in communion with each other. Everything happens together. Everything happens in clicks and community. So we are building community at Eight Black Hands around some ideas. We got more coming for you to keep watching. So just keep watching us. I'm going to tell you, keep watching us. But but uh, go to Patreon, join us and uh, join our book club as one of the things. If you like this show, share it and like it. Uh, I want to point out to folks as the only beige person on this podcast, what it looks like <laughs> to be beige. What happens is Ray gets invitations to Sharif's cookout and Charles gets invitations to Tanisha people's birthday party. Fam, we works, live down the street from each other. Works with it's my me, sister. Works with me at Bright Beam. <laughs> and I don't get invited to nothing. 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 Chris, that was that was a party That's for young folks. You would have been see? that thing sleeping. She 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 turned 36 yesterday. It looked like it was going off. It looked like the party was everything. I'm I'm like a 45 minute plane flight away from brother it was a sneaker it was a sneaker party no brother what, what 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 sneaker you got some jordans in the closet somewhere brother some you got sketchers some Air upstairs i got some skips right and the sketchers got like like the memory foam in them you know like they stick to your feet or whatnot anyways brother, just, these are just limited edition ken griffey jr air max 90s bro these are hard to find bro if you're I not coming some. like this just, just like that felt, you would have been comfortable brother i got some hey, just like that hey. signed by brett Favre. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> kind So my 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 closing thought is this, right? <laughs> so uh, what what what? Uh, the reason why I brought up uh, black superintendents being attacked is because if you go down to Guilford County, North Carolina, you see uh, Dr. Sharon Contreras uh, being attacked for uh, her previous commitment and her current commitment to equity work in schools, right? And so. My heart goes out to folks that are being attacked for doing God's work, for doing right by our kids, right? But I'm also thinking about what a talent like Dr. Contreras would be in an independently run mm-hmm. private school or district of private schools. Like, I don't feel like those people in Guilford County, if they're not going to appreciate it, they don't deserve it, right? So then how do we then put money behind a brilliant mind like that and then say, you know what, we're going to create some private schools in order for, for folks to, to to really be able to enjoy these great minds that are now being attacked. So that's that's my closing thought. Fellas. Oh, was there a link, uh, Ray, to the uh, the Ian Rowe thing? We'll put it out later. I just, I, I really, people are there's asking, no I haven't seen it. There's no, there's, so there's no link. Are um, you serious? That's terrible. It's, it's, it's on demand. In uh in in the charter school conference library or whatever uh they they didn't market that right either because like it, they could have put that behind a paywall people would have paid to see that I mean I paid for it, but I, I would have somebody to screen capture it but yeah <laughs> I will I will pirate the hell out of that debate shout out um, shout out to Naomi Shelton who I will see tomorrow I'm gonna see you my sister tomorrow for running an organization that uh that uh, supports <laughs> le- <laughs> charter charter school leaders of color and actually has real and honest discussions and debate that are germane to the black community shout out to her and and, and the schools that she's running shout out to the um. Uh, the independent charter groups too 
that are, are working with the mom and pop shop charter groups of which I was a keynote at one of them uh, recently and, and, and got to see a wide variety and range of people in that one. Shout out to the, the, the organizations within reform world that ain't suckers. Appreciate y'all. Do your thing. Do your thing. Do your thing. This is called, this is Henny Chris, bro. You know what I'm saying? Do your thing. You know what it is? I started writing again and I got to do research to write and it just was like, okay, what? And I just was amped and we knew that. And when Sharif's not here, we got to bring, you know, we got to, we got to, we got to fill the void of his energy not being here. So you, you just got Chris and Charles on a, on a, on a day, uh, Ray. Yeah, freedom, hey. freedom school coalition, or what are they? The Freedom Charters Coalition <laughs> out in California. What's our boy's no, name? They what's, national. What's they name, national. Bro? What's his name? <laughs> Rashad. Uh -huh. No, no, no. You're talking about uh, uh, Dr. Steve Perry and them, and, and, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Margaret Fortune. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to them too. Yeah, man. Shout, shout out to oh, everybody. In and you know what else, Ray? What you were talking about about black CEOs and black students? There's so I can't talk about it, but. You know, we do real work. The people on this podcast do real work. And there might be, you know, a nice report that actually asks black kids what it means to have black school leadership like a Ray Ancrum in a school, you know, because right. research is important. That's right. That's a fact. So, folks, listen, <laughs> you guys have been listening to a, a double episode. We gave you a double album. Hey, think about it, right? That, we gave you two hours tonight. That's right. But uh, thank you all for coming to kick it with us. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, please like and share this show. Um, looking forward to seeing you guys next week. Peace. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.